A lot of us love to root for the underdog team in sports or root for the underdog at the movies or watching our favorite TV show, but it gets a lot more complicated in real life, especially in the workplace. On today's show, how to help the underdog in your organization survive and thrive, even if that person is you. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 275. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a more effective leader. And I'm glad you've joined today because today we're tackling a topic that's one that's so important for us as leaders, whether it's one that may affect us personally in our own careers or not, it affects us personally because it affects people we work with, our colleagues, the people that report to us, and our friends and family as well. And that is, how do you navigate things and not only be successful, but prevail when you may be the underdog? And I'm really glad today to be able to welcome to the show a friend of mine who has an expertise in coaching underdogs, and that is Terry Lepofsky. Terry is the president of Ubiquity Leadership. He's a leadership coach and workshop facilitator to some of the top organizations in the world, including Schlumberger, Air Canada, GE, and the Government of Canada. And he and I have actually been friends for a bit because we are part of a mastermind group together where uh, we get together and have a conversation every week. And Terry is one of uh, my trusted advisors on uh, providing me feedback on what I'm doing with the show here and, uh, and also providing me some coaching. So Terry, I'm really glad to welcome you to the show. Wow, what an intro, Dave. Thank you very much. You know, i got to tell you, I've been listening to uh, Coaching for Leaders for quite some time and even gone back through some of your archives, and it's a real privilege to be on with you today. Just noting some of the people that you've had on the show over the years, um, it's, it's really, uh, like I said, it's an honor. Well, I feel the exact same way because I know you're going to teach me some new things today. And I know for so many of our audience, too, that this is something that either we de- we deal with in our own careers or um, there's people around us that we really care about. We want to see be successful. And yet there's something that's causing them to not move in the organization or not be as successful as they otherwise could be. And I think maybe before we get too far down the line here, it might be helpful for us to just kind of look at this word that you've used called underdog and tell us what is a what is an underdog? <laughs> How do you define that? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny term that uh, developed along the way. You know, the the way to um, to think of this is the people that just tend to have a few extra challenges. They're underrepresented in the boardrooms and on the leadership teams, and they have a relatively larger challenge in different things like like race, gender, age, maybe religion, uh, geography, where they're living, physical attributes, maybe their abilities or affiliations. So it's just, uh, it's people that are uh, somewhat different than some of their colleagues, And they find that that provides a bit of a challenge for them that others wouldn't have. And so I'm guessing that there's some traditional things that you see a lot. And then there's also probably some aspects of 
diversity at a broad level that you maybe don't see as much or we don't think about as much um, of having someone be in that situation of being an underdog. So it it's probably gets pretty complicated. It can be complicated. And I'm glad you used the word diversity because this is this is really something that we hear often when we're looking at a top-down perspective. When organizations realize that this is a really good thing, it makes good business sense to have a, a diverse workforce or a diverse leadership team. You see a lot of initiatives like leadership training, uh, quota systems, and this sort of thing. But very rarely do you see somebody talking about helping those individuals move forward. And that's where the whole underdog coaching thing came from. Uh, you know, just to go way back in time, um, I re remember coming out of university and doing some volunteer work. And one of the organizations that I volunteered with was there to help refugees adapt to life in North America. And I had my eyes open in a really big way when I saw somebody from Iran that had never seen Santa Claus before. And his he had huge eyes like he was, uh, you know, looking into the headlights, a deer looking in the headlights. And, and he had no idea what was going on with people exchanging gifts. And, and this was one of my my earlier openings and, and realizations to the fact that not everybody thinks the way we do and not everybody has the same cultural perspective that we do. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I was reading through your website and just some of the things you've written. And one of the things that you say is that underdog coaching and diversity coaching found you rather than the other way around. Tell me about that. Right. Yeah, it was... Um, a couple of things, actually. There was one one experience in particular. It was a colleague of mine, and uh, we were working together, and he was new to Canada. He had come in from, from Peru, and of course, his uh, English was fairly broken. But uh, I could tell that he had a lot of capability, and he was a very intelligent guy. He wasn't getting a very fair shake from his from the other colleagues. He wasn't getting a lot of respect from a lot of people, to be very honest with you. And so I tried to work with him so that uh, he was believing more in himself and and just aiming a little higher than than uh, he otherwise would have. And this was kind of a peer to peer relationship, you could say. But it sort of set me up for this perspective that some of these people just need someone else in their corner to help them out. And uh, that translated uh, many years later into a great opportunity where a coaching client of mine or a client came to me and said, look, I want to run for public office. And uh, when, he, when he challenged me with this, this is somebody from the Middle East, and he had uh, a very similar type of situation where his English was broken. Some of the words weren't coming out quite the way that he wanted to, but he was going to have to get up on stage and debate people that had a little different set of challenges in front of them, but not certainly not the the, uh, the speaking aspect of things. So, you know, these are some of the experiences that I think has set me up for uh, this underdog coaching and something that I really decided that um, this resonated with me. I wanted, I, it was a challenge that I was up for and I wanted to think through it to try to figure out a, a bit of a system or a plan to help these people out. Yeah. And it, it, one of the other things I found really interesting in learning about your work, Terry, is that you, you've pointed out that 
one of the interesting things is that a lot of times the underdog will be the one who will ask for help more. And those are the people that actually came to you looking for coaching and looking for guidance. And that people who perceive either are or perceive to be in a position of more privilege or look more like or act more like the rest of the organization tend to go things their own way more often than asking for help. And is that something you still find in your coaching? Here's a really funny thing. I, I find that a lot of people that I would consider to be the underdogs out there, the ones who are underrepresented on these teams, they a lot of them don't feel that there's much difference between them and the people who are getting the jobs. They feel that they're just as capable, just as smart and all the rest of it. And they, I find that they tend to underappreciate the challenges that they're facing. I'll give you a, a classic example of this. Uh, with uh, women leaders, it's interesting to find out that a lot of them won't apply for positions unless they feel that they've got almost 100% of the competencies that are called for in a position. And yet men will apply with as few as 60% of the competencies for a position like that. So they're selling themselves short somewhat and putting themselves at a little bit of a disadvantage. And maybe a little bit of encouragement is what they need at that point in time. And just being a little bit more aware of what the field looks like on the other side, what the other team is, is doing to prepare for the game. I I, re I resonate with that a lot from the standpoint of someone who I think in many cases considers myself in more of a privileged position for a lot of reasons. And and just just a few episodes ago, Terry Bonnie was on. We were answering a question, and I answered the question one way, and Bonnie took the the same question and looked at it much more from the lens of a, a woman in an organization being communicated to in a way that might have been we don't know because we didn't we don't know the person but 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 might have been you know just because of her being a woman and the way she was interacting that that there may have been some bias there and after that happened i was thinking like wow i wouldn't it didn't even occur to me to think about that as as a as a point in the question and i think that that's something that I mean, it just shows that the importance of us from a leadership standpoint of getting exposed to various perspectives and thinking about things differently because we do miss stuff even sometimes when we may be the underdog ourselves it's very true very true and it happens more than a lot of people realize and when it's you that uh, your career is on the line for it i think that that's that's where having that second perspective really helps when you've got somebody else that sees things from a, a different viewpoint and can help you appreciate just some of the challenges that you may be up against that you may not have realized. It's funny that just recently I've teamed up with a former National Hockey League star, a guy by the name of Doug Smith. And Doug Smith is um, a guy who went through his professional hockey career with a lot of success until the day that he got checked into the boards and ended up with a terrible spinal injury that left him a quadriplegic. He's fine now. He ended up fighting his way back, but he's written a great book uh, called The Trauma Code, where he describes eight different steps that people should take to get to high performance. Well, he and I sat down one day and we started looking through his list and combining it to, or, or rather comparing it to some of the different perspectives and behaviors that I try to promote through my uh, underdog coaching or diversity coaching. And the funny thing is, both lists were, were just dovetailed perfectly. And one of the biggest things that he calls out 
was the fact that a lot of people who are trying to get to a higher level of performance or compete in realms where they haven't been before, awareness is one of the biggest challenges that they face. Awareness of what the challenges that they're going to face are, what the playing field looks like, where they're at right now. A lot of people just have not taken time to sit back and take a a real hard look at that. And this is where I believe that having that extra set of eyes really comes in handy. Well, I'd love to say something about that from a standpoint of just the show too, Terry, because um, I've experienced that exi- that myself as far as awareness. I've worked to be aware of a couple of different lenses of diversity as far as having guests on the show over the years. And and of the, the places where I've been aware of that and have thought about that, um, the show's been very good at bringing in diversity in that way. But there's also been several areas around awareness that I just haven't thought about before. And I've had a couple of listeners point out recently, like, oh, you know, in, in, in a couple of areas around diversity, you're not doing great as far as having, and, and I would, they were very much nicer to me than I would be on myself. In some ways, I failed miserably as far as some lenses of diversity as far as guests on the show. And and really, it comes down to when I look back on choices I've made with guests, it is that word exactly. It's awareness. It's me not having thought about those aspects of diversity or gender or race. It's, it's, it's me having focused too much on some areas of diversity and not looking at other areas. And so that really resonates with me a lot of like just the importance of, of for all of us of having, again, whether we're the underdog or not, a sense of awareness of of what we're what we're what we're challenged by and what our own limitations are too. You know, uh, back to, back to my example with Doug Smith uh, playing in the National Hockey League in uh, uh, in North America. He's a very humble guy, but he actually describes the fact that. He made it to the NHL, the elite league, and was an elite athlete playing at a professional level, and he had no awareness whatsoever. He did it straight through brawn and grit. And it wasn't until after his his injury and fighting his way back out of the hospital that he started to become more aware of what it was he was facing for challenges um, and, and what he needed to do in order to get back to the top level of sport. So uh, very interesting. Now, I mentioned before that his model and mine dovetail really well. They really match up well. What I normally call that is accepting and adapting. It's And this is a really interesting perspective. For people who are facing a relatively larger number of challenges in, in reaching a promotion or just evolving their career, accepting is is a really tough thing to say to somebody. You need to accept the fact that not everybody's going to give you a fair shake. And it's interesting because a lot of people say, wait a second, I shouldn't have to accept that. That's not acceptable that somebody is holding me back. And I often get a little bit of pushback when I say this. But I usually try to point out that the opposite of accept is to reject. And if you're turning a blind eye to challenges that are out there and in front of you, then I think you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. There is acceptance from the perspective of knowing that it exists, 
maybe not agreeing with it, but being more non-judgmental about it, and then adapting your behavior in the longer term so that you're able to steer and negotiate through those challenges. And, you know, maybe doing something about it longer term, but accepting the fact that those are the challenges today. This is my reality, and this is something that I need to work through. Some of the language you just said, Terry, are some of the things I've heard uh, almost word for word from clients over the years who have been an underdog in one way or another in an organization. And uh, so there's, there's so much there with what you've just said. And I'm, I'm curious, as someone who's specialized in working with people who are underdogs, um, is there something you found that is helpful in getting a person from a place where they may not have that acceptance to a place where there's like we were talking about a moment ago, the awareness, but then also the acceptance of you know how other people may perceive whatever the the reason is is that they're not represented as as broadly. What do you do as a coach to help get people there? Yeah, this is a great question, Dave. Uh, thank you for asking that. There's really a couple of different things. One of which is I, I ask people to, or usually I'll, I'll ask them what they're doing from the perspective of their own presence. How are they showing up as somebody who's worthy of the promotion or the new direction that they're going in or even the position that they're in currently? So we start we start talking about refining their presence, representing what they believe in, being authentic and what I like to call being followable. You know, I I've got a I've got a client who's in a very heavily male-dominated industry. And she's in charge of mergers and acquisitions for this big company. So when she goes shopping, she actually spends millions and hundreds of millions of dollars and sometimes even more than that. So a pretty fun job for somebody who likes to shop. But the problem is, A, she's in a very highly male-dominated industry with a lot of technical expertise, a lot of, um, a lot of engineers. And uh, the second part, her team is all temporary. They show up for a six-month period of time and disband, and they don't actually report to her. They're still reporting in through their, their permanent leader and then dotted line reporting to her for a temporary period of time. So when we started working together, one of the things that she was mentioning to me is that people weren't taking her seriously. She also happens to be fairly young. So she's got some of these older, very experienced engineers, mostly male, that are looking at her saying, what do you have to lend to this whole thing? So there's a credibility thing. And so we started talking about refining her presence and having her show up in a very followable way, being super authentic. So really, the things that we started looking at with her were we started analyzing her strengths and her uniqueness what ethics she carried with her, and then starting to live them very consistently so that she felt like she had her feet on the ground, really good balance from a professional love viewpoint, and giving people um, a good reason to see her potential and trust her, trust that she was going to succeed and lead the team in, a, in a, an effective manner. So just that consistency and knowing what her strengths and uniquenesses were what her ethics were, and being crystal clear on them, living through that lens every day so that when she showed up, it was purely authentic. And she's found that that's made a, a world of difference. Oh, interesting. And so it's, it's, yeah. it's very much, you know, she owns the story. She's framing the story. 
she's framing her strengths and putting the actions behind it. It sounds like to make that happen. It's very true. You know, it's, it relates to the second thing that I usually try to focus on. And I call this, uh, being your best PR team, <laughs> you know, no, nobody likes the guy who stands around the, uh, the water cooler and starts talking about the fact that he should get that for next promotion, or she should get that next promotion because of all of the, the years that they've put in and they deserve it and the rest of it. Yeah. Usually that ends up delivering some bad blood somewhere along the way yeah, and people looking a little sideways with uh, with that one but um you know usually it's more of a forward focus when you're talking about becoming your best pr team or promotional team and you have to have a lot of belief in what you know that you can do and it's kind of a two-sided thing you know it's it's belief in yourself but it's also feeding off of the encouragement of other people now, I don't know about you, but I can remember many, many years ago when somebody took me aside and they said, you know what, Terry, you've got potential. You really do. You could really do something significant. Love the way you rally people and you you see what's good in other people and you really get them excited about an opportunity or some potential. And I remember that even though it was 25 years ago, I remember where it happened. I remember what the guy's name was that said it to me. So when other people believe in you, you need to feed off of that. You need to really recognize it and, and make sure that you're holding it near and dear to your heart because that belief in yourself really gets the motivation going. And, and that combined with the belief in what it is that you can do can really lead to that great PR that you can put forward. You know, I have uh, uh, a situation that's coming to mind with this. An, another lady that I was coaching not long ago, she was in a very large, uh, like a global corporation and she was a very compassionate person, very in touch with her intuition and a very caring person. And she just knew, she absolutely knew that she could create a win-win situation for her company and for her employees and for her by creating a brand new position. And this was a really interesting scenario because she wasn't after a promotion. In fact, she was looking not even for something lateral, but a bit of a demotion because she had this idea that she wanted to help people who were at a financial disadvantage in her company. People who, you know, maybe had health issues going on or, you know, maybe some issues with mortgages or whatever in the world it might be, but people who were financially strapped. And her idea with was to use her strengths as a compassionate person to start organizing a, a program within the company where colleagues could voluntarily donate a, just a small percentage of their earnings to a pool of money that would be there readily available for their colleagues that were in financial need. Oh, fascinating. And when she, oh, when she went and pitched this to the executive, I had a coaching call with her and we, we purposely arranged this to be the day after her presentation to the executive. They loved it. They absolutely loved it. And it's because she believed in herself and she knew exactly what she was great at. And she promoted that forward and it ended up into a brand new 
program that they never had before and think about all the people that benefit from that. Oh, indeed. Indeed. I, I, I love that advice, uh, actually, for all of us. I mean, <laughs> the importance of, of believing in, in, in what we're doing and, like you said, having that PR uh, um, having that PR strategy to it. And, and one thing I'm curious is what's different for the underdog? Because while we should all be doing that, I'm guessing that there are some things that if you're the underdog for whatever reason, that maybe you have to do slightly differently or more intentionally around that. What do you, what's your experience in that? Uh, you mean uh, what's different for the underdog and promoting themselves? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's it, there's really not a lot different. I think the thing about it, though, is that people who are an underdog or somebody who comes from a diverse culture or a different perspective, they don't often see that they need to do that work. And uh, this is this is something that I like to call the Armstrong approach. People sometimes feel that if they're doing a great job and they're in there slugging it out and they're delivering the numbers and their their name is on top of the leaderboard month after month, that somewhere up above, somebody's going to recognize them. And that's going to be enough to get ahead. And the truth of the matter, the way the real world really works is that you do have to acknowledge that other people are really concerned with their own career first. And you have to get in there and make sure that they're aware that you have some unique skills to offer. You have some strengths to be able to put on the table. And more importantly, they align with a really good reason or a good purpose out there, that they're aligned with something that the organization really needs. I don't think it's unique to people that are in that in that boat, but I think that it's something that almost anybody can benefit from. Yeah, oh, indeed, indeed. Uh, well, speaking of, of, of anybody, uh, one of the words that's been coming up for me just thinking about our conversation, Terry, is the word empathy. And, right. you know, I, I think about this both in the perspective of, of uh, for you and I, I mean, you and I, in a lot of ways, are very privileged positions. We've had good education. Uh, we're both, you know, of a uh, race and age where we fit in well, <laughs> fit in quotes, in quotes, uh, fit in well in a lot of organizations and with clients. And so I'm curious, both how you do this as a coach, specifically as a coach, and forgive me for saying this, I mean, you and I are both middle-aged white guys. <laughs> so um, in a lot of ways, we don't look like, and we aren't in a lot of ways, um, underdogs. How do you step into the role as a coach from a standpoint of empathy and working with someone who may be facing a very different challenge than you've ever faced? And and before you answer, the reason I'm asking is I'm thinking about the leaders in our audience who may or may not be underdogs, but but are wanting to do a lot of the work you do, Terry, which is coach people and really bring people up and empower people um, who who may be disadvantaged in the organization for whatever reason. How do you get there yourself? I would say that in my experience, what's got me there is really working on my listening skills, and I, I'm I mean this from a much deeper point of view than you would normally hear somebody say when it comes to listening skills. So what I mean by that is listening not only to what somebody may be saying, but listening to the nonverbals as well. And I mean really like paying close attention to how people are showing up, whether there's a lot of tension or frustration that's coming through, what others may be saying, like listening to the whole story. And then going a little past that, listening to the emotion. And this is a really interesting one. 
if I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm sensing that um, you know they're very passionate about something, I may start trying to focus a little further on where that message is coming from, what's fueling that message. And in addition to just paraphrasing what I've heard and showing somebody that I've understood what it is that their, their words have said to me, I may actually come back and try to paraphrase their emotion as well by saying something like, I'm wondering if this is coming from a, a position of frustration on your part. You know, talk to me a little bit more about that or tell me what, you, what you're feeling about this situation that you're facing. So really trying to dig down and understand what they're feeling because oftentimes their actions are really driven by what somebody may be feeling. Oh, indeed. Indeed. I love that. And, and when you're coaching leaders who, like you and I, may not necessarily be the underdog and helping them to think that way, is it coaching around doing a better job listening for those feelings? Or are there other things, too, that you're working to change their perspective on? Oh, there are. There are many different, you know, different aspects to this when it comes to, you know, things that, that I think somebody who's looking for that rising up to that challenge, what it is that they need to keep in mind. You know, we just talked about listening for emotion. Well, emotional control just happens to be a very big piece of this as well. Making sure that people are recognizing that if they are feeling, let's say, frustration, there's a great example right there. Another one might be a lack of patience. Those are very common. You know, people feel that things should be happening in their to their benefit much quicker than they are. And one of the best tools that I found that really help in this regard when it comes to emotional intelligence is a practice that has been around for many, many years, but not so much in our Western society, more in Eastern societies. And that's a practice called mindfulness, where people, it's a bit of a mental workout to train your focus so that you can start recognizing when frustration, when anxiety, those sorts of things start building up inside of you and rather just reacting to situations. Instead, mindfulness helps a person recognize those early warning signals. So instead of being reactive, they can choose a more appropriate response. And so, uh, like I said, I think mindfulness is probably one of the best tools that I've come across when it comes to emotional regulation, emotional intelligence, and even picking up on uh, where somebody else is at that you may be interacting with. So let's say I'm someone that's never thought about mindfulness. I've heard the term, but but let's say I, I haven't. And what would be one thing that I would do sitting down, getting into a conversation with someone that might help me to be slightly more mindful? I would say the best thing that you could do would be to focus on the present moment. And that sounds pretty simple. But really what you're doing is you're clearing your mind and you're getting into a in, in more of a balanced perspective. When a person's mind is clear and they're balanced, I mean, if you think about it, Dave, if you think about the leaders that you have come across in your lifetime, the people that you have the most respect for, if you start listing some of the qualities about those leaders that you admire the most, I'm betting that somewhere on that list, you're going to have the words clarity and balance on there. Mm. I think that it is 
It's absolutely some of the best things that we could expect from our leaders is are to be clear and balanced. So when somebody sits down and they're in the present moment, they're not thinking about, did we prepare well enough for this? What happened yesterday in that meeting? I've got some uh, reviews coming up in a couple of hours that I need to attend to. So just keeping focused on the present moment. And really, that's what mindfulness is. You're being mindful of the present moment. But the second aspect is not being judgmental, accepting things. And we kind of touched on that a little bit with, uh, you know, being aware of the situation, but really not judging it as much as would otherwise be the case. That's so hard. Isn't it? <laughs> You're right. You're oh, right. It's gosh. the ever-present challenge, and it's always a great goal to have. Yeah, yeah. I, I find I'm I'm find myself, you know, certainly on a daily basis, catching myself where I'm like, you know, why are you like that <laughs> in a situation with a client or family member or something? And uh, and I have to I have to remind myself consistently to set aside the judgment that I think a lot of us have as human beings <laughs> that comes naturally. Have you found any good practice, Terry, that, that you use to check yourself on the judgment piece of it to, to, to empty your mind out of, of that for whatever reason that it may come up? It's, it's a practice thing. You know, I do a lot of public speaking coaching as well. And a lot of people say to me, what's the secret to public speaking? And, you know, probably the biggest secret to public speaking is doing public speaking. And I would say the same thing when it comes to being judgmental, the more that you can catch yourself, the more that you can recognize, oh, wait a second, that was a judgment. You know, just that recognition. I don't, I don't ask people to try to lean back the other way and, and go back and try to correct it and fight against it and the rest of it. Simply being aware, just recognizing that that's what just happened in your mind is that you made up a little story in your mind to kind of decide whether something was good or bad or, or evil or whatever the case may be. As soon as you start to color it in those terms, uh, a simple recognition and doing it on a repetitive basis, that's where you get uh, leaders that that are uh, fair with their team. They're not playing favorites anymore. They're looking for balance and they're looking to build people's strengths rather than just keep handing things off to the people that they feel are going to be doing the best job out there. We've heard time and time again on this show, Terry, of the importance of, you know, when if you set a habit, like setting something that's really like a low bar, and just right. like you, like we were talking about earlier, raising awareness, I keep a daily habit list of just things I want to check myself on. And I'm in having this conversation with you, I'm wondering if one of the things I should put on my habit list, and I may do this, is notice one place where I was judgmental today. Just right. just because just just the awareness of that and noticing it, then all of a sudden, once you notice it, and I've, I've noticed this with a bunch of other things I put on my habit list, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a place where it happened. Or maybe even the opposite. What's a place I, I find today that wasn't judgmental? You know, there's a lot of ways to frame it. But but just that one time a day, boy, it, it can change our perspective so immediately. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, Dave, when you start, you know, they say it takes a minimum of, and I do stress the word minimum, of 21 days to build a new habit. When you start to get to that point where you're saying, you know what, I'm making some progress here. I'm not quite as judgmental with things as I used to be boy, you start noticing that everybody else around you is judgmental. I think we're just a judgmental society. You know, it, it, it happens out there. And uh, the more distant you get from it, 
the more you realize that it's it's a bit of an epidemic out there. A lot of people are judging their way through their day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And we all do it. So uh, we all do it, myself included. And so I won't be judgmental about people who are judgmental. (laughs) Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Uh, Terry, this is this is great. I mean, it it gets to the essence of so many things that I think are so critical for leadership. And, um, and, you know, one of the other things you said a minute ago, just just that the present moment. I mean, I know you and I are both students of Dale Carnegie and Dale Carnegie said a hundred years ago, uh, live in daytime compartments, you know, live in the moment, like separate things, you know, let this meeting just be about this meeting rather what happened last hour or next hour. Um, I just love the practical advice here. I think it's going to be really uh, helpful to uh, not only the underdogs in our audience, but also those leaders who are working with people who are underdogs for lots of reasons and, uh, and support them and helping to be more effective in the work they're doing. Yeah, it's so true. You know, just to kind of put a wrapper on this, I'll tell you, one of the the best things that I could tell people to put it into a little package is your uniqueness is your distinct advantage, not your limitation. Mm, I love that. I love that. I have found that to be so true time and time again when I've embraced that. And when my clients embrace it, gosh, it's amazing what happens. Yeah, it's inspiring. It really is. Terry, for folks who would like to track you down, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, just second star to the right and straight on till morning. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. It's uh, <laughs> probably my website would be the best, Dave, and that's ubiquityleadership.com. Ubiquity is U-B-I-Q-U-I-T-Y, then leadership.com. Awesome, Terry. I'm going to put links to your website. Also, a few things you've written in the past. Uh, You've got a great article on LinkedIn up on why we need diversity coaching, which I loved uh, that you published this year. So I'm going to put links to all that on on the site. And you probably already picked this up in the conversation, but Terry's in Ottawa and Ontario, Canada. And so I'm I'm really uh, just just thrilled, Terry, to get to partner with you every week um, and the coaching that I get from you. And it's just been so much fun. And I, I appreciate you broadening my perspective um, on underdogs today. And I know I'll do a better job coming out of this conversation. So thanks a ton for that. Oh, thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate the opportunity and, and just the uh, chance to be on your show here. It's uh, quite an honor. Terry, thank you so much. As always, we've captured everything in the show notes. The best way to get access to those is to activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership on the Coaching for Leaders website. You can go to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. It takes about 30 seconds to do. When you do, you'll get access to the full podcast library, a number of other resources to support you. And in addition, you'll start to receive the Wednesday Weekly Leadership Guide. And inside that guide is always the show notes for each episode. And in addition to that, a number of other resources that I think uh, will help support you in your leadership development each week. I track down the best articles, book references, podcasts I can find that I think will support you in that. And you can get access to all of that just by going to coachingforleaders.com. On the main page there, you'll see a place to activate the free membership. And when you activate it, you'll also automatically get access to and begin my free 10-day audio course that's titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. Uh, already in the last month since we launched the course, over a 1,000 people have activated the class and listened to it. 
And if you will give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, it will help you to get the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. In each one of the lessons, I've highlighted a portion of an interview from uh, sometime in the last five years of interviewing guest experts on this show. And my intention in putting together this course was to find uh, the best messages that you could implement today, not a week from now, not a year from now, today that you could put in action. And by hearing that 10-minute snippet uh, will help you to be more effective in your work with the next person you interact with. So if that is of value to you, again, go to coachingforleaders.com. You can activate that. And while you're on the website, I hope you'll check out some of the past episodes that will also uh, support you in learning more about our topic today in supporting the underdog and coaching in general. Uh, One episode to certainly check out is episode 237. Uh, We talked about the coaching questions that get results. Michael Bungay-Stanier was on the show and he talked about his masterful new book that highlights uh, the coaching questions that you can use in almost any coaching interaction. If you are doing any kind of development work with people, which is almost all of us, episode 237 is a must listen. So check that out. Also, episode 255, I had Therese Houston on, and she talked about how women make stronger, smarter choices. Um, Unfortunately, as as much as I'd love to think that uh, we have gender equity everywhere and in every organization and industry, that's still not the case in a lot of places. And Therese and I talked in that episode about some of the strategies specifically that women can utilize in order to make better choices and to be more influential in organizations. But the advice is just as good for men and women. So again, episode 255 is the one to check out. And then finally, episode 269, how to ask for career help was the topic. And my guest Larry Brayman and I talked about how do we ask for help? And not only just in our careers, but in a lot of other capacities too. If you're the underdog, that's essential. But if you're in any role in any organization and want to get better in your career, asking for help is really critical these days. So episode 269 is the one to check out there. You can access any of those just by going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. It'll give you access to the show notes, the audio, and everything else you need to benefit from those episodes. In addition to uh, those episodes, I want to make a quick shout out today. You've heard Bonnie and I mention Andrew Kroger's name a few times on the monthly Q&A shows in the past. Andrew is our editor and does all of the post-production for Coaching for Leaders and for Bonnie's Teaching in Higher Ed podcast. I wanted to make mention of him today because he just passed his one-year anniversary with us of editing both shows and doing all the post-production Uh, Bonnie and I know that both podcasts are better today than they were a year ago because of Andrew's skill in listening and in editing. And I was talking with Andrew just a few days ago, and he's in the process right now of expanding his business, which I'm really excited about. And he's opened up some new availability for projects. So if you or your organization are looking for help with audio editing, manuscript editing, book editing, and he's even done some work for us uh, with graphics and social media in the past, Uh, check out his site at andrewkroger.com. It's not the normal way you spell Kroger. So I'll have the link in the show notes in this week's uh, leadership guide as well for those of you who'd like to connect with Andrew. He's a longtime friend of ours, has supported us on client projects even before we started the podcast. This is going back five, six, seven years now. And many moons ago, he was one of Bonnie's brightest students. I know he'll do a great job for you too if you decide to connect with him. So 
Thanks again, Andrew, for all your great work and for allowing us the privilege to listen to it each week. And finally, I wanted to just make a quick mention of the Best Year Ever course that is closing this week on Thursday, December 15th, 2016. It is not too late to start to get in and plan for an outstanding 2017. We're affiliated with Michael Hyatt again this year to support this great course. It's our third year in a row of doing it. Uh, And while the course is still open, it won't be after this Thursday, December 15th. So if you want to get a head start on 2017, check out all the details at coachingforleaders.com slash best 2017. And on next episode, I'm glad to welcome Jurgen Apollo, who's going to appear on the show to discuss his best-selling book, Management 3.0, and also wisdom from his new book, Managing for Happiness. Jurgen is a leader in agile software development, and he is going to bring us a ton of strategies to be more effective in leadership and leading systems well. So look forward to that next week and have a great week. Take care.